Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Crypto Conversion Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to recommend that everybody like this video. Please subscribe to the channel. We're building this thing out. We are coming out with new episodes regarding how the church can continue to get involved in the Web3 world. And the best way to do that is to have Christians like Connor, Matt, and I have these conversations about what's happening in the space. So without further ado, as always, I'm your host, Brandon, and my co-hosts, Connor and Matt. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing great. Thanks for asking. It's St. Patrick's Day today. So um, yeah, happy St. Pa- Patrick's Day. Uh, I'm wearing green. Um I was joking with Connor Matt earlier that um, if I if I were to take off my sweater here, I'd be wearing my Vladimir Zelensky T-shirt um, oh, because yeah, of the, yeah. the shade of green. I I am not dressed up like uh, Vladimir. I I am wearing green for St. Patrick's Day for uh, clarity. So we'll just get that out of the way. So yeah, I, I don't um, know if it'll come across. It's kind of a light green, but this tie is technically green. I don't know if you can okay, see that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> very, very festive. Yes. My so, um, green, so. Yeah. Everybody enjoy, green thing I own. <laughs> enjoy your Guinness. Enjoy your green beer. Enjoy your Irish car bombs this weekend. It's all, it's all fun. Uh, uh, St. Patrick's day weekend. Most people celebrated last weekend actually, which really confuses me, but <laughs> Don't ask me. Um, all right, so let's get into it. We've had some crazy things happen the past week in the crypto space, but not just crypto. In TradFi as a whole, just the shutdown of SVB banks, and not just SVB, but uh, two others, we sealed the deal with them as well with uh, Signature and Silvergate. I just going to leave it open ended because I can kind of answer questions regarding this, but I just want to hear other people's takes on it because I have my own, but I I would just be drawing people out and boring them with my platitudes. So let's just start Connor. What was your thought on all of this? It kind of hit us, (laughs) hit us out of the blue on Friday as as in the middle of the work day. So what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it definitely kind of sidelined. I mean, hit us, you know, from the side, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I think I think the well has kind of been well spoken of on Twitter. Uh, there's been a lot of views and information out there, and it's really hard to sort through and figure out exactly what's going on. Um, one thing it definitely does show is that you know, there are systemic problems in the banking infrastructure that a lot of people didn't realize was there. And it's not just related to inflation or the Fed monetary policy, you know, it really comes down to the institutional way these banks are run and the kind of risks that people don't fully realize that banks take on with your money. Um, So crypto people, Bitcoin people have been sounding that alone for quite a while now. Um, And so not that anybody's, you know, celebrating uh, this kind of loss. No, but um but it's definitely a narrative for crypto. And I think that's probably part of the reason we're seeing uh, the Bitcoin spike, um, particularly. Um, there's some other reasons for that. And, you know, and this is the other thing, too. Like, it doesn't just show the problems with the banking infrastructure. It actually showed a little bit of the systemic problems in crypto right now with stable coins, with USDC, right? So, um, so yeah, I think the other side of the uh, the Bitcoin run is people getting out of uh, those types of projects and getting into uh, you know more serious decentralized crypto projects. Yeah, and just the whole thing is just so bizarre because it uh, as I was going to bed on Friday night, Circle released uh, their statement regarding twenty five percent of what they have was caught up in this SVB uh, debacle and they had part a, part a a sizable portion of their reserves in SVB that had now been basically compromised due to SVB being shut down by the FDIC. But then we found out that everybody was going to be made whole on Monday. So I think that the 
printing of more dollars is a part of what is causing this bull run right now. I think it's a portion of it. I don't think it's the whole, but I think it's part of it because we've seen when more money gets pushed into the economy, Bitcoin, Ethereum, at least the top the top tier projects, they kind of ebb and flow as the market does as well. And uh, that's just something that's interesting when it comes to the cryptocurrency markets and the relationship with TradFi that they still hold together. I I don't know if they'll ever necessarily break off and be their own. But at the same time, though, it's kind of helpful that they do follow the markets because it does kind of provide an element of trust, too, in the predictability of them to a certain extent, but they're still volatile in nature. I'm just still trying to wrap my head around all of this. Matt, I guess, what what did you see coming out of Friday with some of this news? Yeah, I, I think and kind of kind of touched on this. My most important takeaway is that most, the vast, vast majority of Twitter did not know what they were talking about. No. Um, and there was a lot of um panic and it i i i don't know for sure whether it was panic from you know the persons themselves panicking or people trying to incite panic for um ulterior motives um i think there was a little bit of suspicious behavior going on with certain accounts um and so i just i it was so hard to trying to weed through it all and find the level-headed takes um so, so brandon you said 25 percent. i thought it was like they only had circle and hit about three billion of their assets on it um, might have been it, that but people were saying it was 25 percent. so there we <laughs> well, go following <laughs> following the weeds you're probably more right than me so i because that's been, why it was it might have been 25 percent of their cash holdings Oh, that was it. Yep. Yep. No, I think that was it. Yep. They had, they have okay, a lot more. So, was... Okay. I did have that percentage then <laughs> right a little bit. Cause they, okay. yeah. Cause it's not, they don't hold it's one-to-one, but it's diverse, it's a diversified portfolio. So 3 billion, mm-hmm. I think was like 25% of their cash holdings. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, they had, they have things in cash cause it's more liquid. I think they do a lot of buying a lot of treasury bonds so that they can kind of earn a yield on the stuff they're holding. Um, and so they, uh, so being 3 billion, you know, it was a little less than 10% of the entirety of USDC. And so that's why I think it was trading, you know, in the low 90 cents, um, because people were saying, oh, they lost that. So really this is only that. But even then I, there were so many takes that were like, oh, why is everyone assuming they're going to get nothing back from SVB, you know, typically, you know, like we could expect reasonably that they'd get at least 50% back or that they'd get, you know, I, I gosh, it was just, I, I, I hated it. It was, um, but I loved scrolling. I'm, I'm one of those guys who I, I like looking at things that make me angry sometimes. Um, and so I just had a rage fueled, uh, uh, scroll of Twitter, which is great. Um, but I, yes, there's, gosh, there's so many things. I, I, I don't know what, what I want to touch on first. The, um, yeah. Uh, oh, this cash flow thing as well. So there's there's kind of two things to this, right? So SVB, my understanding of it from what I've been trying to read, uh, they you know they technically had more in assets than they did in deposits, right? Like like they didn't you know invest in um, something at the top and it went down, um, right? But it was it's that they were illiquid that they got kind of locked into these you know ten year things that. Um, you know, became less attractive. So really, I think if, if, you know, SVB, if nobody withdrew anything from SVB for, you know, 10 years, then they'd end up with more, you know, they, they'd have more in their hands than, um, you know, people are, are depositing, right. There, it was a maturity yeah. thing so more than it here, was say. let's, uh, let's yeah. talk about the facts of what SVB is. So <laughs> silicone, so, so SVB Whatever their acronym is, Silicon Valley Bank or whatever, I try to, I get mixed up in, so SVB Financial Group, um, essentially they are the tech world's largest bank and they specialize in giving very large credit lines to the future Facebooks and Googles of the world is what I was told to think about it. 
Um, and it's kind of funny, actually, because you guys were talking about evangelizing the people that are lending the money. Mm-hmm. After reading some of the profiles of some of these executives at, from SVB, they need a lot of evangelization. Um, <laughs> and I think that I think that there was an element of too, we're too big to fail. I th- and they overinvested in mortgage-backed securities. And what happens when we you invest in heavily in mortgage-backed securities? Well, as inflation rises, your asset your assets in mortgage-backed securities become riskier and riskier to hold. And so, because they were taking a loss on what they were holding, they had to sell it super fast, which then caused a lot of just frustration from the markets and what they were holding. And it's just kind of funny looking back at what these quote-unquote financial experts were saying about SVB coming into 2023. They were saying this is an ironclad stock. This is, this is a safe company to invest in. Everybody should be investing in SVB. They know what they're doing. Um, in 2021, they were trading around $750 a share, and it was because they were getting an influx of money because money was cheap then, and all they were able to extend these credit lines to these companies, but what they were doing on the back end wasn't necessarily the best idea for overall health of a bank, and to, to put it in layman's terms, and... Jim Cramer was talking about them being a solid investment. I believe Jamie Dimon was talking about them being a solid investment still. And they just kept dropping like a stone at the beginning of 2023. And it got out of the weeds that on last week, Friday, that they weren't allowing people to make withdrawals. And, and that's when this whole thing got to the headwind of, what we saw so that was just a very abridged version of the story i'm not as financially savvy to tell the whole scoop but there's plenty of people that are smarter than me there's a lot of good articles out there but i just wanted to just put it all out there in a simplistic story from what i understand at least is that svb was over collateralized in mortgage-backed securities they were losing a lot of money because interest rates have been rising very rapidly. They dumped what they had and they took a big loss that they really couldn't afford to take. And then, then they stopped letting, allowing people to withdraw money. So, yeah. So just to jump in. So it, sure. I, I think you said it wrong the first time, but you said it right the second time. So sure. mortgage-backed securities, um, you know, essentially they own a bunch of mortgages that are, you mm-hmm. know, locked in at like 2% interest, right? Everybody either bought a house or refinanced their yeah. mortgage, you know, while interest rates were super low. And so they're earning, you know, a, a 2% yield, something like that. Um, yep. And just with the um, Fed um, actually raising interest rates, you know, now you can get a bond, which is a government bond, which is even um, safer, you know, for like more than 4% um, sure. yield. Like it, there's, there's just no. Um, and so I, I don't know that they've actually sold. I thought I kept seeing things that said unrealized losses, um, you know, and it's the idea that like uh-huh. in order to get somebody to buy this 10 year mortgage backed security that's locked in at 2%, um, you know, they'd have to sell it for a, a loss. Um, they you know, were, that's, that's what they, it. that's what they were doing. What they had dumped stuff for a loss. They actually dumped it for the I loss. believe okay, so. Because I yeah. thought I thought I saw the FDIC like um you know kind of seized all their assets. And, sure. And- so as they were as they were dumping, the FDIC caught wind of it, and that's when they came in and were like, "You got to stop doing that." So that's what caused it. They didn't dump it all at once. They had they were beginning to do a very large dump of it, and that's when the FDIC got involved, and that was a couple weeks prior. Um, and so there was already noise being made, but then Friday, that was the, that was the nail in the coffin where FDIC took over and that's when everything hit the fan, proverbially speaking. 
Okay, that makes. Now there was sense. a couple. Yeah. There's a couple things in play though, and I, I mean, and that is kind of what I feel like you were getting at, Matt, just being frustrated seeing all the bad takes on Twitter. But it's like there really is no like one take on this is what happened and Mm-mm. this is a solution. Like there's so many things in play. Like on one hand, I can see the viewpoint about they were a bank, the, they were the 16th largest bank in the U.S. I think. Um, and some are uh, you know. it's it's connor and that's even gray area to say i've seen people say 16th i've seen people say yep. eighth right yeah true um but uh yeah so the, you say they they were they thought consider themselves too big to fail but i've also seen people you know just pointing out that uh really what you see right now happening in the baking industry is a consolidation of banks um and i forget some of the figures i've heard but just over the past 10 years like the amount of banks that we've had has greatly diminished because you see a few big players you know chase obviously jp morgan being the top dog kind of swallowing up all of these smaller banks and some people are suggesting that 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 has an amount to play in this as well i'm not i'm really not on svb's side um in this in this battle i i just because I really don't agree with the banking industry as a whole. And, you know, to what extent I want to see smaller banks succeed at the uh, expense of larger banks is not really that great, honestly, when I look at my, um, you know, my alignments. But um, can you say that again? You said you don't like to see smaller banks fail. at No, the I know to say like to what extent that I would, you know, have to side with smaller banks, uh, in this battle against the banking industry like i can't really say that my alliances are there because it's i can see that viewpoint to some extent but also i don't um like it's not i'm not on svb's side like that i don't consider mm-hmm. them like necessarily my friend in um you know in some of the things that i find valuable both in crypto and you know like you said looking at these people that are actually running the bank like they don't really have any sort of um, alignment with me, you know, spiritually either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't think I can take that aside, but I have seen people point out that it's not good to see small banks like this fail while the big ones, you know, go on basically because something about SVP is it was, it was a crypto bank. It was a bank that was supporting, you know, certain crypto industry. And then after uh, SVB went down, well, you had Silvergate beforehand, and then you saw them go after Signature Bank, and it didn't look like Signature Bank had any sort of insolvency at all. Mm -hmm. So that's a very curious case. It does look like there's some attack on the crypto industry in general happening here. There's there's an attack, and I... there is a guest on uh, the Bad Crypto podcast this past week that was talking about um, uh, somebody, a representative from the SEC, basically went to Congress and told Congress, I know a way to get you another trillion dollars. And it was by going after investors in crypto and banks that try to meddle in crypto um, by just taxing the just taxing and taxing and taxing. And uh, I just heard this briefly. I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I caught a, a good uh, portion of it. And I, I need to dive in further because this guy seemed to know what he was talking about at a high level. And mm-hmm. it's something that I'm intrigued with um, ultimately in terms of what uh, what the government's plan is essentially with crypto. Because we're seeing right now kind of a war between the SEC and the CFTC in terms of who gets to regulate and uh, run the crypto industry. So uh, I, I personally would rather be regulated by the CFTC with crypto, but um, Gary Gensler seems to have have his uh, claws in deep with regulatory uh, moves in the crypto space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we go on to uh, keep talking about banking, uh, just to throw sure. in here, um, you know, again, stable coins, we started talking about USDC a bit, depegging. Um, uh, first, I want to be upfront and apologize. I definitely talked up DAI um, in uh, a few other podcasts. And luckily, we don't have that large of a um, fan base. I hope nobody, 
you know, none of our 20 followers, you know, dumped millions of the uh, millions into die and then sold at the bottom. Um, but uh, we found out that they were not as decentralized as we hoped they'd be. It, it appeared. Uh, so just to clarify that. So die also went down. I think there was um, in the contract they said USDC is a stable coin. So we're not even going to, you know, use an Oracle to check the price of USDC. We're just going to always treat that as a dollar. And so mm -hmm. people were, you know, using USDC that was trading at 90 something cents and then um, using that as collateral to mint die and then sell it. And then I, I don't know what they ended up buying, you know, after that cycle. Um, yes. But anyway, so that's why one brought down the other. So um, we definitely, um, I, it's hard, right? Because those would have been the two I would have trusted. It, right. I think Tether is a little, um, you know, suspicious. Uh, I, people always have suspicions about Tether. I, I couldn't get into specifics, but people always are suspicious about Tether. Um, and so I would have trusted USDC as a, um, you know, centralized one. I would have trusted DAI as a decentralized one. And, and it seems like we can't, you know, and so I, I hope someone comes up with a better decentralized one. Um, but uh, until that happens, I, and I know there's just so many out there that, uh, um, you know, are trying to be the next big one. And, and I can't talk about all of them because I don't know about all of them. But uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, I, I do think this is interesting, right? Because if I still want to, um, I could go the crypto route and have stable coins in my wallet and say, I'm, I'm going to bypass the banking industry. But now I can't because they're actually, they're tied together too much. So um, I don't did know, that was definitely thought I've been wrestling with the last week. Did Tether come out more trustworthy to you? After what happened last week? It, no, I just don't trust any stable coin now. Okay. <laughs> I, I've i got some BUSD, I think. Um, and Wait, I oh, still trust them because <laughs> they're set. But, they're, but like, like they're still, they're put out by a company in New York. And, and it's just that, you know, they said, the government said they can't mint any more um, BUSD. So it's going to die, you know, um, it's going to disappear just on its own. But uh I don't know. It's Crazy. funny. I, I have ever since I got into crypto, I've been hearing the warnings about USDT, um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't the first one to go, was it? Uh, not mentioning names, but I did read on Twitter somebody uh, took out a short against um, USDT, USDT against USDC, oh, on the idea that USDT would possibly depeg, and so the short, um, you know. How do you say that? The collateral is USDC? I'm not really a Yeah, trader. which one were they shorting? They were, they were shorting, shorting USDC. Against USDC. Okay. And they've been doing this for, I don't know how long, years probably, just on the off chance that USDT yeah. did go. But it wasn't the one to go. It was USDC. So the oh, short was gosh. underwater because it went the opposite way. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I've seen, I've seen people do vice versa, though, too. So, I mean, like... There's plenty of exchanges that allow you to do it. It, it. The question, and you know, honestly, with what's happened in the crypto space the past year, if you would have shorted some quote unquote stable coins, you would have, it would have been a pretty good short. So take with that what you may, I guess. It's just not as, it's not as stable as we think they are. That's for sure. I mean, yeah, USDC on Coinbase, you'll get dollar for dollar back. That's probably the most consistent you can get, but. I mean, shoot, Coinbase lost a lot last week, probably because everybody probably was taking their USDC off of Coinbase. A lot of some of the people that I'm I'm fairly close with and we talk about this stuff were taking their USDC off of Coinbase just for just to get dollars back into their bank account because if your USDC was on different exchanges, you weren't necessarily going to get that dollar back. I, I don't know. Is it is is USDC back to a dollar now? It probably is. It is, I, especially okay. because SVB depositors were, you know, I made whole. They were made whole. Yeah, at first they were promised okay. to be made whole, and then you know, then they were made whole, and so there's no there's no shortage of dollars now. Okay, so let's let's get into the topics today, Matt. Um, we're, 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 I mean, obviously we already are, but yeah. let's get into some of the questions about, um, about more about stable coins, but also like how stable coins could be the next CBDCs and, 
and things like that that we've kind of been discussing lately or hearing a lot about in the news certain countries moving over to cbdc's we know china has already we talked about nigeria a couple of Mm -hmm. weeks ago um south american countries are moving in that direction uh and there's there there's websites tracking this stuff now too um cbdc tracker from atlantic council and other things like that so let's get into it yeah so i i think there's been a kind of a lot of um refueling of this discussion with all the banking stuff um because the government is really putting its hand a lot more in the banking system like like even more so um uh, gosh and and it's interesting i you know i i was young in 2008 so like you know i kind of understood that things were bad for banks and they got bailed out but i didn't really know what that meant um you know the way that i i might now um and so it's definitely different right they're not um they didn't bail out any of the investors of svb you know they just bailed out the depositors but that in doing so and kind of guaranteeing that for now everybody you know if fdic covers everybody every deposit you know in every bank um you know it sounds like the government runs the banking system right like it it um I, I I don't know, and, and so I think that kind of refueled this as this discussion. Um, you know, if if the government, if if all the banks were nationalized, I, I think we'd have to, you know, call that well, not CBDC, right? Because the D is the digital, right? But if they, um, you know, processed every single digital payment, if they held everybody's accounts, you know, like I, it's just semantics. I think at that point to to not. Uh, I suppose the one thing would be to get rid of cash that people had to transact digitally but uh yeah besides that i i think it it seems like we're inching closer in, in certain ways um and so yeah matt here's and i think you know it's interesting and here's something to highlight uh one thing that i had been kind of tweeting out and preaching it's definitely not my own words but the thing about mm-hmm. banks is that everybody in 2008 got bailed out like nobody no like that's the thing like everybody at SVB they're getting bailed out nobody's nobody's getting their wrist slapped for making a stupid decision um which is part of the frustration with it because the banks do a great job of privatizing the gains and then socializing the losses so yeah, the banks can basically do whatever they want and when they're profitable they they can rake that in and keep it amongst themselves but when they lose, that's when it goes back on everybody else's shoulders to pay for their malfeasance and their poor decision making. And that's just something that I wanted to start as a prerequisite. So the government, in turn, by taking con- more and more control over the banking system, this is just a way for the government to privatize the gains, continue to socialize the losses amongst the populace. Yeah. And it's just it's it's not it. I don't know. There's not like a perfect way to to say that but it's 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 kind of the truth and it matthew crater trader university he's the one i heard that quote from it's definitely not my own but it's it's a great it's a great philosophy and it's true it's the truth so so i don't think they did that though right as far as i understand like any svb shareholder is at zero you know like they only made the depositors whole while still shutting down the bank yeah, but the biggest shareholders sitting on the C-suite sold their stock a couple of weeks ago before they got delisted. Yeah, but I I, I think the, they'll get gone after for that. I, I think they'll say that that was bad and, and they might have to recoup those uh, those things and, and put them back in the bank. I I, I don't know. I, I think we'll um, see. I, we'll <laughs> we see. will see. We will see. But I like the 2008 bailout again, as far as I recall because i again i was young back then but as far as i recall they bailed out the banks themselves they said we don't want these yep. banks to fail um but this one svb they said okay svb you failed um but we are going to make everybody you know all the depositors whole we're going to make sure that everybody who had money there and, and so that's why you're seeing bank stocks go down you know i, I i've seen a few i couldn't name all of them but i've seen a few sure. that are trading a lot lower um, now than they were, you know, a few weeks ago, because now it's, it's, you're not, you're not doing that. I think everyone was worried about privatizing risk and socializing losses, but now 
the government, the FDIC is trying to say, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to only bail out depositors. And so now people who are holding are like, okay, well, like there's just so much risk here. Like, like I'm not going to put my money there. Um, you know, I, I, that's what I've been seeing. I, it's still, it's still a socialization of the losses though. Yes, but it's not in a way like it's not, um, recouping anybody who owns stock in the bank. Like, like they they, sure. they took on the risk and then they failed because of that risk. And to be fair, when you open a bank account, like I, I honestly, I'll, I'll stick to this. I'll, I'll, I think, I think the government made the right decision and the FDIC made the right decision, um, based on, you know, what they want to happen, right? They don't want, sure. um, bank runs. They don't want all every bank to start collapsing right now. And so they, they said, no, like we're going to make sure, I, I don't know, maybe they could have done it slightly differently. Maybe they said, Hey, up to a million dollars instead of 250,000 or up to, you know, something else. But, but they did say, they said everything. And so they want people to, they want the everyday person and every business to feel secure in keeping their money in a bank, you know, and, and being able to use the payment infrastructure and everything, you know, I like they didn't, they're, they're trying to avoid a bank run. Um, and, and so I, I applaud them for that. Cause I, I think they'd made the right decision there. I think this is having more ramifications. And that's what we're seeing in this discussion about CBDCs is that I, I think there's bigger ramifications of what they did, but I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't have made a better decision sure. if I was sitting at the table. Um, and I guess this is where you and I kind of differ in some of this, Matt, where I'm like, I'm like, I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say, if, I take if, you know what, if, if the government wants to come in and bail out banks like that, then the government should just be the bank. Like, honestly, let's, sure. let's, let's stop beating around the bush here. Like just take over the banking infrastructure. And the only way we can bank is through like a one government bank. Like at, at this point, like then don't let banks make decisions in terms of where they put money and what they do. It, it, that's, so I, I respect what you're saying and I understand, you know, I don't want to see the little man get raked, but at the same time, I just want to see somebody get some form of justice. And I know that justice never happens in this life. It's the next, but it's still, you know, it's still one of those things that just runs in my head since what happened in 2008. And as I familiarize myself with what happened in 2008 and see the, you know, and you and I've talked about, you know, the inequality of the banking system as a whole but it, it's still just one of those things where it's like if nobody's ever going to have to pay the piper because fdic just comes in and just makes everybody whole and it's like what's going to happen now and and svb apparently had somebody that wanted to buy them but the fdic said no we're not going to allow you to buy them because we don't want monopolies to be created and it's like what like I'm? That's where okay, I get confused. Weird. Yeah. yeah, that's where I get I confused. Done that. Yeah, and like, Connor, I want to hear you jump in. I, yeah. I know we keep going back and forth. What What would you have done differently? What What's uh? Why am I wrong? No, or yeah, no, I, you are right though. Like there's there was a considerable difference in how this bailout is, you know, being being run. I guess from t 2008. So it's not really fully um. It's not really fully socializing the losses, right? Because it's because, like you said, it's not uh, they're not bailing out the people who are actually invested in the bank. They're not bailing out the bankers. They're bailing out the people who who held money in the bank. But um, it's just so people people are calling this quantitative easing, and it's like, well, it's not really quantitative easing because the policy is not the same. Yes, but the effect is the same because you're still putting money into the system. You're adding money to the system. Okay. And so like, uh, it's a slightly different the way it's being done, but that is what's happening. And we're in this point where we're supposedly trying to combat inflation. So what does it mean if you're combating inflation and making it more and more difficult, uh, you know, for these types of institutions and venture capitalists to make money and then they start failing and then you put money into the system. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what's the point? Thank you. Right? Yep. Thank you. So the only reason I say, they did not make the right decision is because I think I very much think we just need the system to fail. So, and I know like that sound can sound really disastrous, but yeah, people do have to realize that, you know, keeping money in your bank is a risk and you have to accept that risk 
And also, most of the people that were, frankly, investing in SVB or holding money in SVB um, were not like little men. They're venture capitalists. And some people are claiming, I mean, this is possibly conspiracies, but uh, if you know your bank is failing and you know there's a possibility about getting a bailout, um, you know, you want to be first in line to uh, sure. to benefit from that. So I'm not but, saying that's what happened here, but really the only reason I'm taking the opposite stance about they shouldn't have done the bailout from you is just because I think I think we need the crash to happen. And, um, you know, yeah, I think you can manage a lot of how that's done with tone and, you know, with rhetoric. Because, um, you know, crowd science is, crowd psychology is, is crazy, honestly. People do not behave rationally. Um, you know, everybody's going to say like, oh, if the, if the Fed raises rates by 50 basis points next week, then it's going to be a massive crash. And it's like, we've been seeing 50 basis point raises for yes. weeks, you know, for months. And it's <laughs> like, so this next week, if we see a 50 basis point hike, the whole system is going to crash. Like that's absurd, but it's probably true because that's what, how crowd psychology works. Everybody's now accepting or expecting either a 0% rate, rate hike or maybe at minimum a 25% basic uh, basis yeah. hike. So now if it's like 50, then it's like, we're done. Come on. You know, so people, people need to kind of be prepared to accept that things are going to come down. I, I just, I think though, if, if you didn't bail out those depositors, if FDIC said, no, we're keeping this stark, this strict limit, um, mm -hmm. gosh, I, I don't know. It, it really, there is a process, right? So, so if, if they would have followed the, the normal process, everyone who had, um, at most 250,000 would have their deposits and then, um, they'd kind of sell off auction off all the assets from the bank and then people would be made whole, you know, I, which is also a fine process. But, um, I just, I, like if, if they said, nope, screw the depositors. Like, I, I don't know, like the logical next step is anybody who has more than 250,000 in a bank account, you know, any business who's using a bank is going to like take that. I, we need, I think people, I think the populace needs like, <clears throat> they need a place where they feel safe putting their money. Right. Like I, when I put my money in a bank, I don't think I'm investing in this bank. And if this bank falls, I fall too. Like I think I'm not holding, you know, stacks of cash under my mattress. Like I'm going to put this somewhere safe, you know, yeah. and maybe that's the point. Maybe there's nothing safe in this world, but I, people need a sense of, of security there. Right. I mean, like you guys all said, you know, you, you bought Brandon, you were talking in the first episode, I think where, you know, you bought a ledger cause you want your Bitcoin to be even more safe, you know? And it's like, I, I don't know people. I think we need to feel a level of security, right? If, if we, if one, I, I'm just worried. I would be worried if again, and I, I said this from the perspective of the government, right? I think they made the right decision for their, you know, their motives, right? They, they don't want, that'll be a disaster if every bank starts falling because every, every bank has a bank run because nobody feels safe, you know, risking their money in a bank. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't see that going the opposite way. I, I couldn't see anybody in the government saying like, nope, nope, let everyone know banking is a risk. And if you want to keep your money safe, take it out of the bank. Things just, it just, even <sighs> like from 2008, like just things have, they, they said things got better. I just don't see how that happened. Like, I just think they've been trying to keep this thing put together with chicken wire and chewing gum since 2008 and it's just the fix that works and the only reason why nobody comes after us for it is because we hold all the leverage as the global superpower um, that's all that that's that's my ted talk yeah well and the other thing too is now the expectations have changed because like you said uh if they didn't then you know everybody's going to be concerned and there's going to be you know the possibility of a bank run but people were kind of already preparing for that before the fed made their announcement like we didn't see massive bank runs on everything in those you know two days that we had we didn't have much time i i don't know if banks are always maybe we would have saturday maybe we would but yeah yeah no i mean you're right maybe we would have <laughs> 
Sorry, it was what? just the weekend. Like it was, it was Friday to Monday or like, yeah. I think they announced the, the fed announced on, on Sunday, you know, yeah, we had like well, Coinbase, days. Coinbase shut off all USDC movement on Friday. As soon as circle made their announcement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's just now the expectations have changed because now people aren't preparing for that contingency because they know the fed's going to have yeah. their wallet. Right. So it's, it's just, it's changed the, uh, the playing the um the board game a little bit in such a way that it's like i don't even know what the solution is now to get out of this uh out of this trap like how can we how how is inflation going to come down like it doesn't it doesn't make sense in my mind yeah fed 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 pro coming to you summer of 2023 fed now fed now i'm sorry fed now fed pro whatever they want to call it basically getting swift in the united states it's all good wait do we not have swift United States? Yeah. Not to the extent that Europe does. Is Swift run by like the European Union? Yeah, I'm pretty sure oh, okay. it is. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know. So I, I yeah, I, I was interested in the Fed now stuff. So this is I, I do think there's um uh there's a few things going on here. I, I was reading about Fed now. It's it's a, a payment processor like that that the government's gonna run. Um and I um I don't know. I think there's a couple of courses it can run, right? This could be laying the groundwork for a CBDC, right? If if government not just does the payment processor, but then they decide, oh, we're gonna you know host everyone's account, then it's then CBDC. That's that's where we're at. Um, but also, I think some people are saying, no, this is actually the optimistic approach is that this is um, kind of bypass the uh, the need for a CBDC because we're gonna um, they're only you know, getting into the payments stuff. So everybody else can hold accounts elsewhere and they just have to interact with um, this and they don't have to interact with this. I, I think what I've understood is that it's, it's now an option. Um, I don't know. I, I, my, the optimistic take would be like, this is the post office and people use, you know, UPS for the premium. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, sorry. I, I don't know if you guys have read about fed now or have any thoughts there. It just feels yeah, like I it's did. the government's um, version of PayPal. Well, th- this is really what confuses me, okay, with this whole CBDC stuff. It's like, what what tangibly is the difference between the system we have now and this potential CBDC? Like, I, I get I get the argument. It will centralize things a little more in the um, you know, into the the central bank's hands. But the central the central bank really does run the show when it comes to the banking industry as a whole, and and the government does like okay, the system we have now like you you're not going to be able to send money to North Korea. Your bank's not going to allow that, right? It's like yeah. they're already controlling where you can spend your money, what what things you can save your money in, you know. All those transfers that happen are already manually approved. So, yeah, okay. What what's tangibly the difference then? Maybe you guys can explain this to me because it's just it's something I've been trying to wrap my head around, and it's it's not easy. I think one of you shared this um, from the Nigerian president or somewhere in the someone in the Nigerian government um, said that the goal is to become, you know, 100 percent cashless. And so I I think CBDC to emphasize the D is digital um, to say, you know, hey, we're not going to have we're going to force everybody. Everybody has to. We only have a digital currency. This only exists. Uh, And we control the network through which that goes and possibly all of the accounts um, so that, you know, and since Fed now is an addition, right? If they control all of the payment processing, you know, and then um, if they also, if the government also has like, like a wallet, like I have MetaMask, but the government and it's just, you know, my money and it connects to, um, you know, the Fed now. Well, with uh, would, Fed would now, be kind of the next step. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a slight, it's a slight step, but it basically allows what twenty four seven, you know, transactions instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still it's transfers between bank, right? So yeah. it's yeah. that's one of the key differences between what a CBD, hypothetically, a CBDC would probably be a wallet that you hold separate from your bank account. Yeah, hypothetically. Well, and, and, and of course, a lot there's of multiple people, ways lot, CBDCs can yeah. kind of. Well, like form, how, how different is a checking account though from a, a wallet that you hold? You know, 
So right, if you have 24 seven access to it. So a lot of people do have like two bank accounts though today usually they do one bank for their mortgages or you know things where they get their loans from and then they have their bank that they use for like you know what they spend and how they pay for things it's just how you know where you can get the better rates and things like that i think that that's where um that's where fed now steps in is fed now they want to be that that intermediary of exchange of everyday exchange where somebody might have use a smaller bank or a wells fargo everybody has their own personal opinions on how they do this uh, just from the people that i speak to and deal with on a regular basis that's how that's how they do it at least but i, I know that there's a lot of some people can get away with using one bank depending on your situation in life everybody's different i what i get nervous about is uh, this this stuff gives me chills down my spine because it just makes me, it i it just see the united states becoming more and more like china every day and it scares me it it scares me from the sense that i could have my i um, i could come into a situation where i have to have my money on fed now and if i do something deemed unsavory i can be deleted like that or i and that's the part that 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 kind of like just gives me the heebie-jeebies so to speak and the, i don't believe that but, fed yeah. now and um cbdc's incentivize people to budget to save money to build a future for themselves china they have their cbdc's and people are ex it, it incentivizes spending more than saving. People have to spend money by a certain date or else it gets deleted. Like, wh why should you be controlled in terms of how much money you can have in your bank account? And that's the part that kind of scares me a little bit. But, but, but like, what's different about the system we already have right now? Like, if they decide you're a criminal, they freeze all your bank accounts. You know, you don't hold your money in your bank. Like, your bank holds the money and they... True. answer to whatever the authorities tell them to do right there's no like independent um there's no independent like depositor out there every everybody paypal visa your banks they all answer ultimately to authorities so like what what's the difference like what it, makes yeah, you more scared and as Fed now rolls out, I believe they're rolling out kind of as a competitor to the current payment processors. You're right. They're not like shutting down um, ACH or Zelle or, you know, I don't know what other ones, PayPal, maybe uh, you can call them a payment processor. Um, but uh, right. not so the this, way, this but. is like the health.gov version of payment. Sure. Okay. I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. Or I. I mean. I. I like thinking about you know the the post office, right? Yeah. They, okay. It, it, they made that. You know, it, from, from you know again this optimistic side, right? The government made the post office to ensure that things were getting delivered anywhere in the country, and then um, you had private companies like you know UPS, um, you know FedEx, and they said, hey, we're going to do it better. Um, and so I, I, I hope it's a good move. I, I hope this drives competition. That, that's the optimistic perspective. But then, yeah, again, the pessimistic is that a new they're government building a framework. Coming, a government to, program coming in that's going to drive competition. I don't know about that. I but. just, yeah, I don't know. Like that, the, it just I mean, doesn't, just like, look, it doesn't look, tangibly look. matter to me because the, the competition is, is not really real anyway. Like I get it. Sure. But yeah. In exactly. my mind. You really and can't I'll just say this, independently like, as a financial institution. Speaking from somebody that works for a company that sells a lot to government as a business, I I kind of it's just frustrating in the economy when the government is a competitor to other you know existing systems. It's like why why can't why can't somebody else uh, why why can't we have an industry that that needs a government version of it you know what i mean like why why can't we have these systems that are are uh are not as uh compromised by government control and i understand that that can lead to maybe something being more corrupt but the government hasn't given me any reason to think that they're not corrupt either so that's why i'm like okay like i can either trust you know jeff bezos here 
or um, I can trust the government. Like it's yeah. just it's just interesting to think about because <laughs> what Amazon almost did to take out like the need for the U.S. Postal Service was incredible. I think that would have been like 2017, 2018. Amazon announced they were going to begin uh, building out their own delivery driver service. And they and I trusted Amazon was going to do a better job of delivering their packages to where I needed them to get than the post office. And then the post office, the U.S. you know the U.S. Postal Service stepped in and said, "Hey, um, we really benefit from your packages going through, and we really want to be a part of that. So if we can guarantee the two-day ship for Prime members, can we be a part of this?" And Jeff Bezos is like to you know to comply with the government and to not turn himself into too much of a monopoly, got the post office involved in Amazon Prime, essentially. And now that's why your Amazon Prime packages are kind of victims to the postal service that delivers them if you're not getting them directly delivered from an Amazon, like a, a, an Amazon facility. So it, sometimes I wonder, does it even pay to pay for Prime when the postal service is involved and I'm just a victim to the regular postal service all over again. So that that's why I'm like, kind of like, you know, it, it having the government version of it and getting involved with private business doesn't necessarily mean it's going to benefit the end users of the product itself. Yeah. I, I, gosh, I, I don't know. I, um, and I hope I get, you know, slandered in the comments as being a statist, but, um, like, I don't think the post office is, mm is bad. You know, I like, I, I mean, they are bad. They're inefficient, right? I, I don't want to say corrupt. I think they're just inefficient. Um, but they, um, like to be able to ensure that everybody will have access to something, um, is a good thing, right? I, I think there's certain, mm -hmm. you know, you see, um, all those maps of like cell coverage from the different cell phone companies, you know, and there's, they never cover the entire country, right? There are certain rural areas that, you know, are not covered. And, and so you almost want like, a really bad, crappy government cell service so that like, Hey, at least everybody can get access to this, you know? And then obviously, you know, the competition will, you know, once those people are on cell phones, then, you know, businesses, when it becomes profitable, they'll say, okay, now we'll cover that area. Now we'll, you know, try to take their money and, and do this stuff. But I, sure. I, I, I think there is something to be said about, you know, this, this equity, right? The, the postal service says, Hey, look, we'll, we'll go anywhere in the country. Um, you know, rain or snow or whatever they say, um, whatever their motto is. But um, as long as it gets yeah. sorted on time. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. And and I don't know that, uh, you know, I think nowadays, you know, we see enough um, private um, companies that are shipping things that they probably cover every area, you know, and they'll charge a premium to get it. Something to the remote Alaska within, you know, the week. But um, I, I don't know. I call me a statist. That's fine. But I, I think, I think there's something to like certain infrastructure pieces for the government to say, Hey, we're going to minimally do this and we'll allow people to do stuff on top of that, but we're going to provide a minimal service to everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, but then you run into subject of, you know, a program for the poor is a poor program to begin with. So that, you know, that's just something that, you know, that I've heard and it, it's kind of true. It, it, my ish problem is, just don't allow it to limit people, you know, mm -hmm. you have to allow it to be an asset for people because it, and that's the thing is like, how, how can we use this as a driver to stimulate growth in the economy, create a future for people that they can be proud of, have a family, have a future, have something to look forward to. And, and that's ultimately what I look at when I'm looking at some of these financial tools that you know, come in our disposal, so to speak. And that's what I'm looking for is like, how does this stimulate growth into the future? And how does this benefit people for their futures? Yeah. 
sure. right? So on the topic of CBDCs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry to jump back in there. I, one thing to get us back in the crypto space is, is again, mentioning stable coins. Um, USDT, USDC, I think DAI as well, have in the smart contracts. Um, they can also limit, they can have blacklists, you know, for they can also freeze people's assets, right? So we look at crypto as this space where, you know, hey, I'm free from this system. Um, Bitcoin, you know, launched in the wake of, the 2008 financial stuff. Um, and so, yeah. So what, what are your thoughts? What are, I, I, I've been talking a lot, so I, I want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts on, um, you know, how, how can people get out of, how can they opt out of a potential CBDC or even just the current banking system? I think the first thing, uh, that you have to realize is that most of the dangers that you consider about CBDCs are already happening. Like there already is oversight. There already is, they'll freeze your bank. They already limit who you can send money to based on a centralized authoritarian standard, basically. Right. So you don't have decentralized digital money now in USD and a CBDC would just negligibly change that in my mind. Um, so what you have to protect is you have to protect decentralized cash, not looking at the crypto space. You want to make sure that you can have cash so you can still have some sort of self-sovereignty over where you spend your money and some sort of, you know, privacy about how you spend it and where those transactions are going. Um, like you said, I, I think I pulled up out of that article, the Nigerian, uh, you know, Fed chair or Fed governor basically saying that, uh, I think he said the destination as far as he was concerned was to eliminate like a hundred percent of Nigerian cash, which is crazy. Um, and then also I think you shared another article and that was, uh, one of the, uh, the fed guys in, um, South America was saying that one of the big leading, you know, driving factors about them launching this CBDC was to, uh, you know, basically, uh, crack down on under the table cash transactions, right? So that's the real danger of the CBDC is that it can replace cash. And the reason payment systems can't do that right now is because, um, because of the way the infrastructure is set up, you need, uh, you, you, they can't op offer basically 24 seven transactions, right? So that's the big one. And then two also offline transactions, they can't offer that. So a CBDC kind of has to solve both of those problems. Um, and that's what they're also looking at in, in Nigeria, at least, trying to solve the offline um, banking problem. So a CBDC that can do that could totally replace cash. And then if they want to eliminate the cash, they can, which is not which is not good for privacy and it's not good for self-sovereignty. So that's what you got to be concerned about. Um, now, if they launch a CBDC and cash still stays in play, I don't really see that a whole lot has honestly changed. Mm -hmm. So... But then your question about crypto, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. So USDC, yeah, it, it's the same thing, right? Like they can totally freeze uh, money in your wallet. Um, they can uh, they can blacklist addresses. They can tell you where you can save money and where you can spend it. Like that's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big question in my mind. Like if they want to eliminate cash, they basically want to eliminate self-sovereignty and, um, and privacy, right? So if we allowed that to happen in the crypto space, if we don't support privacy on chain and, uh, you know, we allow basically these tools to be the de facto standard uh, in, uh, in blockchain where they can just, you know, blacklist addresses and freeze your wallet and whatnot, like we, we can basically give the government everything they want in a system, right? Like we could, we don't even need a CBDC, like just USDC could be the CBDC and... That's what USDC wants, want, you know. That's that's what USDC wants to be. I feel like. Well, I saw that clip running around Twitter of the bankless guys talking to um, what's the uh, who's the people who um, who issue USDC? Circle, circle, oh, circle. Right? Yeah, they were talking yeah. to Circle and basically bringing that up, like, yeah, let's let's make USDC what the uh, the Fed wants to use. And I mean, it's just, it's a little bit of a scary thought because that's freaky. I'm going to have to look up that interview that the, that the bankless guys had then, because, uh, mm -hmm. they normally do a good job of squeezing some of that information out of the projects. So 
Um, well, you can see why yeah. people like it because it's like, yeah. oh, it's like this is what we're already using, and like this is DeFi, like this is a good yeah. thing. And it's like, is it? Like, is this really what we want? Yeah, no. Uh, th- this also, you know, it's funny, Connor. The only thing I could think of while you were talking about that is that this is just going to make U.S. dollars, like cold hard cash, more valuable in those primitive economies for under the table transactions you know what i mean like because if they have their own you know their money systems that they're using they're not going to want to use that money system what are they going to do they're going to try to get their hands on as many u.s dollars as they can and they're just going to use that amongst each other for peer-to-peer transaction or even crypto so it, it it's just interesting to think about that like maybe this is what the u.s government's or I don't know, the financial system's plan just to keep everybody on the dollar is that they're going to keep cash in circulation while these other countries are going to take it away. I, I don't know. That, that That's kind of a contrary take, but that's just something that I was thinking of while you were talking about that, Connor. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I mean, USD, I think uh, Matt even brought this up in a previous episode, just the fact that US US dollar is kind of like a universal currency everywhere anyway yeah so um you would definitely see that but of course if they do if they do start to ban it and they say hey you have to like turn that all in for a cbdc what's going to happen is people are going to stop stop accepting it uh there's probably going to be a crackdown it's like i can't use this and that's you know basically how they eliminate it um so you know i'm not sure if um if the U.S. federal policy decided that they were moving away from cash. I don't know if it would survive. It probably wanted in my mind. I don't think they. I don't think they can. Hmm. I, I mean, I think they can. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if, if if they start saying, "Hey, U.S. companies," it, it would be a slow. Um, you know, it would be a slow decision, probably. But it would it would basically probably reach the point where it's like you can't use U.S. dollars. You can't deposit it in a bank. You know, and then certain federal agencies don't take it, and then they start to, you know, and it, it become it has less use case, right? In sure. That case. So, I, I don't know. I, I imagine, like, I, I still do think it'll be slow to fade out, but I, I think they'll just be like certain, like, like filter certain sinks where they'll say, you know, hey, yeah, you can deposit this, but the bank's going to like light your dollars on fire as soon as they, <laughs> you know, or like shred them, right? As soon as and they deposit it like, into your account, right? Yeah. So that like, you know, we're just, we're getting rid of cash. Everyone's digital, right? I, I, I could see that happening. Um, People don't respect uh, cash anyway. Like, I don't think anybody's going to try too hard to keep it around. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard to keep my $2 bills around personally. I collect those bad boys. Got some valuable two dollar bills in my collection. Yeah. No, but I understand what you're saying. It's, it just, uh, I don't know. It, I, it just frustrates me to a certain extent, and I'm just trying to piece together what this means, how it's going to be implemented, and like I said when I was going on my tangent, like how is this going to benefit people for? financial and economic success you know we hear we hear politicians on both sides of the aisle speaking these platitudes of oh i want you know i want you uh joe smith to be as successful as anybody in this country and it's just it's it's not not necessarily going to happen there is different opportunities aren't equal depending on where you are in the country you and it it's hard for some people and but you, a lot of people figure out how to make the most of it where they are but i just look at how many people are struggling today in certain regions of the country like think about detroit matt detroit used to be the richest country or not the richest country the richest city in the united states with the automotive industry and look at what happened it, it's it's you and you can probably speak to it more than i can but they really lost what they had when the automobile boom was going on, right? Yeah, I I definitely wasn't around at the time, and and there's sure things that went into it. But it, it's crazy to see that it's it's fallen. I definitely a lot of revitalization. My entire life, I've been hearing you know people say sure. Detroit's you were building back, and and I, I do think it's getting at least some parts are nicer than they were when I was a kid. But uh, any anyway, I will. 
to you, have you a whole Minneapolis on Detroit. He's just dogging on Detroit because you know because he doesn't like to talk about his city there in Minneapolis. I don't talk. <laughs> I don't talk. I don't. I don't live in that hellhole. I'm. I'll be straight up with that. I, don't, I no. I a lot of lot of great people in the Twin Cities. I just. I. I prefer to stay where 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 I am uh, outside of that uh, outside of that bubble. Um, yeah, but I just think you know it's just tough to see certain hubs start to centralize the wealth, and that the acquisition of it is not so simple in the middle of the country in certain areas because of whatever reason, poor decision-making on certain businesses and things like that. And this is a totally different episode, but I just look at, I just look at, you know, the central bank digital currencies as a way to just give more central monetary power to the, 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 the kingpins that be, but like Connor said, you know, we're probably already there to be truly honest about it. So, yeah. yeah, it's just so hard for me to like really take that like stance like, oh, we need we need more competition in the banking industry. It's like it's the banking industry. It's one thing, you know, yeah. and I yeah. get that there is different players there, but there's not that much competition. Like, you know, I mean, PayPal, Visa, uh, JP Morgan, like if they decide to freeze somebody's accounts, they're all going to freeze the accounts. If they decide, you know, you can't send money to so-and-so, you can't send money to them. And that happens. It happens today. There's people Mm -hmm. you can look at, like U.S. citizens who have not been charged with any official crimes that you can't bank with them. There's no bank that will take them. And, uh, you know, there's no payment processor who will support their business. And it happens today. Well, when I, Connor, when I was buying my ledgers, my credit card was asking me, are you sure you want to spend your money on the uh, with this company? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm very sure I do. All because it wasn't like it wasn't local. It wasn't like it wasn't in my purchasing region, yeah. um, because most of the ledger companies are over in Europe. So they already are doing it to a certain extent. Like it, it's kind of funny. Well, actually, no, I mean they're definitely doing it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, like, it, it's, it's definitely it's just, happening. It's kind of funny. Like, and this could be a fun episode. Um, did you know that Delaware is basically where all the credit card companies um, hold their control over all all the credit card companies? They're they're based basically in the state of Delaware. Um, yeah, kind of a kind of an interesting. Uh, we can that'll be a fun. Uh, Must be some side good incentives someday. there for it or something, huh? What? Must be some good incentives. I can imagine. I I, yeah, I, I I've think heard a lot I think of people like starting up LLCs out of Delaware. Yep, you yep, know, Delaware LLC. There. I don't know yep, what it is, mm-hmm. but. yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, but that's another episode. So, yeah. 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 Well, central bank digital currencies, I guess basically y'all got how we feel about it today. Um, I don't really know what else there is to do. Um, We'd love to continue this discussion, see what people are saying in the comments about this. How do you feel about central bank digital currencies? Do you think they benefit society? Do do you think we're already there? Um, You it it's a great discussion to have. Um, love to see what people are thinking about fed now. And, uh, hopefully this episode was kind of a springboard to that conversation just to see what everyday people like us, uh, think about this and, uh, how, how it could affect us. So I appreciate you all for listening. Please like comment, review, subscribe, wherever podcasts are found, download rate, five stars, unsubscribe, resubscribe, all the things. We appreciate it. Um, As always, this has been the Crypto Conversion Podcast. And everybody, you have a great rest of your day. Peace.